It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Check out the Facebook page for my pal, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, present and accounted for for podcast number 65. Dr. Stu's podcast is eligible for Medicare. Yes, we are. And we're going we're to need it soon. Of course, they're going to probably raise the age of eligibility. So they do want to probably that. won't be podcast 66 or 60, but there'll be riots in the streets when they try to do that. And what's AARP? 55? You can join them at 50, can't you? That's well, they'll take fun. your money when you're 12. They will. Okay, right. It's a private <laughs> yeah, organization. Horse, right, right yeah, right. right. Okay. But I, I was at Denny's last week, which in and of itself is not a big deal because Oh, my I'm, daughter's all excited, by the way, because because Denny, well, she's not excited, but she was report. I shouldn't shouldn't give it that much credit, but she's oh, yeah, reporting, you, she's reporting to me that- From uh, college. She's down at SDSU now, and she's reporting to me that Denny's may be opening a, a restaurant on campus. Oh, my gosh. She should be excited. If she's not excited, she should get excited. They have banana splits there. I'm just telling you. They make them like they used to make. Them, Denny's so. is wonderful. I go to Denny's. I can tell you what I order. I know what you order. You've been telling me a million times. The Slugger Slam, $8 off right. the value menu. <laughs> it's delicious. Everybody, knows. everybody, everybody in, in the listening world knows what you order for, for that. Okay. You know, that sounds about we right. We do. Drive through in the afternoon. That's Denny's, right. Denny's for breakfast. <laughs> and Conrad's for dinner. I love Conrad's. At midnight <laughs> or one in the morning, it's the best. I understand that with, uh, and I did, uh, you know, to, to this <laughs> podcast 65, but Denny's, that senior menu kicks, actually, I was at... Actually, I was at breakfast with a friend. He's 50. I think just at his birthday. I think he's 58 now. Or he's 57. I know he's at least a few years past 55. And I said, hey. And I flash that senior menu in front of him. He said, I would love to strangle you right now. Well, according to the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, you get the senior menu when you're 35 as a woman. <laughs> Took you a while for that. Yeah, yeah it does. A little slow at that. Right, one. a little slow right, on the uptake. You know, you're, you're an elderly prima gravida when you're 35 years old having your first baby. Interesting, That's right? The title. Yes. And 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 uh, and so you, you guys go. You can get the discount at the movie theater. You women over thirty-five. Speaking of numbers, okay, <laughs> this podcast sixty-five. We're in, we're in a funny mood because between podcasts, we do two podcasts at a time. Right. Between podcasts, uh, Brian and John were, were going at it. It was pretty. Uh, pretty uh, intense to watch. <laughs> yeah, John Norton here, who is our producer, he's sitting here all crazy. He yeah, just he tries is, to say things. He is crazy. You do try to get me angry, right? Is that sort of what you try to do? Something like that, yeah. He doesn't try, he succeeds. Yeah. You see me get angry, right? Very successful at it, very successful. Right. There he is. Yeah. Okay. John loves a hot microphone. He'll take, you hear he takes it in his hand like that. He likes to hold it and he's all into it. You know I, 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 I'm not, I don't know what happened to the third mic, but uh, we're, I guess we're not paying him enough. Yeah, well, the third mic is not a necessity, as it turns out. I mean, but it's sort no, of we don't a, want to, we don't it's a budgetary want to, issue. Yeah, right? it's, yeah, it's, more than, it's more than that. It's to keep you from talking too much. Speaking of numbers, okay, so right. Podcast 65, you, uh, <laughs> AARP at 50 or 12. <laughs> Here's another number. Th am I right? 39th floor or the 38th floor, your new residence? Oh we don't God. want to say where you're We're living. We're not saying where I'm living. But is it the 38th or 39th floor you're it's on? It's the 39th floor. 39th floor. Uh, that, to me, I am afraid of heights, for starters. The living on the 39th floor would be already uh, scary for me. Yeah, you know what? I actually am afraid of heights as well. <laughs> oh, you'd never know it, booking an apartment on the 39th floor. Well, it's an experiment for me. I, I've been living in the boonies for a long time, and I'm, you know, with my last kid going off to college, I am going to move back into L.A., and I wanted to try uh, downtown high-rise living. So I'm going to try uh, living there. I, I think the view is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, if the building ever shakes, I don't, yeah, know, well, I don't know. I'll be I'll be shaking in my boots if that happens. Well, and I'm sure that uh, you know. I was uh, we had an earthquake here. We had one, of course. Uh, you know, uh, now as you hear this, maybe a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago in San Francisco, a 6.0, the biggest earthquake in 25 years. But um, we had an earthquake at the in the morning at about 6:20. This is probably four months ago. And we were on the radio. We were just coming back from a commercial break. 
and uh, the music was playing. You know, the, the pre-recorded announcer is. Was you it know, Thor? No, it was not. It was not our show. It was uh, the radio show I do in the morning, right? So here comes the music, and they say, you know, bang, and they're giving our names, and here we go, and we got five seconds, and that building starts to shake. Now, the building, we're only on the fifth floor at work. Now, you're up on the 39th floor. That's right. We're on rollers, so the building just sort of rocked to and fro for about 10 seconds, but boy, was it scary. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've been uh, in some taller buildings during earthquakes here in Los Angeles, and and they have they sway they do sway I know that Cedar Sinai is on rollers and I remember uh, you know I spent a lot of my years there right. and uh, I remember having some earthquakes there where you could actually feel the building uh, swaying back and forth yeah we felt this in our building right. too and we were right back on the you know so we're coming back on the air live as the building swaying and I'm telling people yeah this is an earthquake for sure because our building is going back and forth well here. we have to do, we do have to give credit where credit is due and we have to give credit to the uh, to the the zoning and the architectural expertise of uh, American ingenuity because yeah. the retrofit. Uh, because we don't see massive numbers of people dying in earthquakes in, United, in, in America, where you say have that same 6.0 earthquake that you had in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, and you, you have that in Mexico, or you have that in China, and you hear terrible numbers of, of casualties, and we, don't, scary. we don't have that. Now, so. you, you, you in, in preparing to live on the 39th floor, <laughs> oh, here we go. you went out there, you told me sort of casually before we started this, and I thought, oh, wow, that's sort of crazy, but you went out- No, to, I, was, I was dead serious. I know you were, yeah. which is, makes it even more fun to me. You go to like a Big Five sporting goods store? You well, I don't think a, they have it at Big Five, but I, I just threw out the fact that I'm going to go to a sporting goods store, and I'm going to buy a, a base jumping parachute. A parachute. I am. So if you need to evacuate the 39th floor, just right out the window- Yep. With the parachute. Yeah, I'd have to probably smash the window with the bat, a baseball bat or Throw something. Throw a chair through it or something. Probably tough glass, too. You I'll should have it here. Well, if you're going to be, you if know, you're going to go, then Maybe go. I'll need elect, I'll drill or something. Maybe I'll need some dynamite, too. Well, that's it. I mean, if you're going to be prepared, <laughs> be prepared. you got to break the window. Yeah, out. that would be terrible if I wanted to jump out, but I couldn't get out. Yeah, that would be terrible. That would be awful. Now, you, have you ever uh, jumped? I just don't want to, I don't want to be stuck in a high rise. Where there's a you know, it's a towering inferno with a fire on the 22nd floor. And, right. And I'm stuck up there. I don't want to be stuck up there. It so. is scary. I do understand that. Uh, have you ever uh, jumped with a parachute? You've done that, right? <laughs> no. You've, oh, maybe you should do that in preparation. For, I mean, you don't really I want don't ever to. expect that it's going to happen. But well, then why buy the parachute? Of course you expect it's going to happen. Why? Why? Wait! You you actually believe that? Why do I have? No, no, I don't want to. Why do I God have forbid, life insurance? God forbid. Well, but you're going to die at some point. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to be the one to bring the bad news, but at some point, you know, the the curtain. But I don't ever want the it curtain to drops but on I don't, all of us. But I don't ever want it to happen. Right, but you know it's going to happen. Now, by the way, you're right, not. But gonna, I want, it's not going to benefit me. Right, and, and by the way, I want <laughs> that's to, the thing about life insurance. A parachute might benefit me. Life insurance is not going to be any benefit to me. Interesting though. So you have a, you're going to have a parachute in your apartment. Well, it's a, actually, I don't think it's called a base jumping, whatever it's called. It's I guess it's a parachute. Well, you so, well, I, it's I, not the same. You I know, think you a, should know a little more well, about it. Well, it's the kind it. of thing that opens. You know, I'm only going to be what 37 story, 39 stories up is what about 500 feet up off the ground. Maybe right. You're gonna have to pull that ripcord pretty quickly. You have to pull it right away. Yeah. yeah, I mean, God forbid. But he, here's the thing: <laughs> it'll be like Wiley e. Coyote. You know, he'll hit the ground and then the parachute will pop. Right with over. an anvil. <laughs> if, but here's the thing: if you are, if you're concerned enough to buy the parachute, yes. Shouldn't you maybe do a dry run with a parachute at some point? Go out to the Inland Empire and jump out of a plane one day and just okay, see. Okay, maybe I will. I actually had intended to in medical school. And two weeks before we were all going to do it, I tore my knee ligaments and I, I was ended up in the hospital. Was that sort of a student thing? But my thing? buddies all went. No, there were four of us that were going to go. Uh, For fun, obviously. Yeah, we were all medical students and we were all going to go uh, jumping back in Minneapolis uh, 
uh, up in the up in uh, I think at Flying Cloud Airport. Yeah, I've never done it. It's scary. It's so scary to me. I mean, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? I mean, it's just sort of crazy. It's like uh, you know, our former president George Bush, the dad George Herbert Walker Bush. He you know his 90th birthday was you know a number of months ago, and he jumped out of an airplane. He, I think he did, but he had done it before. I know, but still, I mean, every time is I guess the second and third time you know probably what? more comfortable. Yeah, people do all kinds of strange things for that they get the adrenaline rush for. Yeah, I guess that is right. it. Right, and you know, and that, and and as things go, I don't think that parachuting is actually as dangerous as a lot of other uh, sports or life choices. How we about make. race car driving? Yeah, right. Why would you want to do that? Yeah, so and I saw that guy number this a month ago now with the NASCAR out there. Uh, that uh, gosh, Stanley got yeah. Hit, you uh, know what? I never, I never pushed the button. To Tony, see the whole Tony Stewart, right? Yeah, well, he's the guy that hit the guy. Yeah, I watched. I the never whole pushed thing. the button uh, to, watch to watch the video. I watched. Like the it. same thing. I mean, the same thing with this horrible thing that happened in uh, in over in in uh, Iraq with the beheading of this oh. reporter. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there are people I know who will watch the video. I why would I ever want to do that? Yeah, I didn't watch the beheading video. Sometimes, you know, what I do sometimes on the radio in the morning radio show I do is my regular job, right? I will watch it for the first time live on the air. Because I feel like I have to watch it if everybody's talking about did it. Did you actually see the video? Uh, I did not watch the beheading video. Okay. But I watched Saddam Hussein get beheaded, but that's different because you're almost sort of cheering either. for that. Yeah. I watched that, uh, but I can't, you know, watch, you know, innocent folks have that done to them. Or, uh, by the way, I'm on the freeway. I always look away. I can never look at an accident. If there's emergency yeah. vehicles, I don't look I, because that image will haunt me. But if it's a news event and I'm on the radio talking about it, sometimes I feel like I have to watch it because I have to sort of have the reaction. Yeah. Well, it's there are there are. There it's like are, the guy whose dog got shot. Remember that the police shot his dog a number of months earlier this I remember year. That, yeah. Right. So I really didn't want to watch that. Which interesting. The way we react to harm being done to animals is to humans. It's sort of our reaction. Is well, different. some people don't even want to watch birth either. It's messy to them. Hmm. I understand that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it is sort of freaky if you are uh, squeamish about stuff like that. What it, percentage of your clients do you find are videotaping or filming birth these days? Oh, the majority film it. They yeah, do, right? Yeah. What dad holds that, the camera or something? No, usually the doula or a family member or somebody else is filming. And uh, if not filming, they're at least taking still pictures. But, right, right. But most people have their phones out now. I mean, it's so simple to be a to become a photographer now with your with your smartphone. Yeah, I sort so, of I, I would understand though the doula doing it because you know I always say some things need to be left to the mind's eye. If I were a dad and my my uh, my wife, my girlfriend, partner, whatever was having the baby, I wouldn't want to be preoccupied with holding the phone and trying to videotape it. I'd sort of want to remember it as it happened in real life. Well, you know that the interesting you should say that because it gets back to my one of my favorite topics, which is the you know Los Angeles Kings have won two Stanley Cups in the last. In the, in the first Stanley Cup, when the Kings the countdown and all that other stuff was going on, I the last two minutes of the game, I have it all on my my iPhone video. Right, right. I'm, I'm watch I'm watching the game through my phone. And you're paying all this money and to sit there the, in that with seat. With the and second beat, game, right. I know it did end differently. It ended in su- it ended suddenly in overtime, but but I didn't pull my phone out. For the whole celebration afterwards. Right. I figured, you know what? There are going to be people with great cameras that are going to post this stuff on YouTube. I don't have to film. I wanted to see it with my own eyes. Yeah, Eyewitness News it's, is going to have a professional uh, uh, you know, a video of it. Too. I can watch it a hundred times. I mean, right. a thousand times. As a matter of fact, I have. As a matter of fact, I've gone to my <laughs> YouTube and watched these sort of things. So, But appreciate uh, the moment, I right? think you're right about that. I don't think that... I think people are... It was a novelty for a while. The idea that everyone could be a photographer with their iPhone and stuff like that. I think now people are, some people are getting are getting tired of it. Did I tell you, I was out, I, I don't know if I told you this on a podcast, maybe or I told you privately, or maybe I've never told you. But uh, a number of months ago, I was out in the valley, and a guy on a motorcycle was hit by a car in an intersection, right? Oh. 
Yeah, that always gives me the heebie-jeebies oh, when that it. happens. Hey, uh, just unbelievable. But the reaction of people on the street here in the San Fernando Valley was unlike anything I'd ever seen. They're turning their phones on and they're taking video of right, it. Right. And I'm saying, is, is anybody called 911? I mean, we all have our phones out taking video of the guy laying on the street. Has anybody called the, the ambulance yet? Or, you know, it, it seems that with the technology that we have at our at our disposal, accessible to us at a moment's notice, everybody wants to chronicle events by videotaping them or taking uh, selfies or pictures of it rather than experience the event and sort of react in a normal human way to an event. Now we want to document events. It's a whole new approach to life and to things that happen around us. Yeah, even I was watching some of the stuff that was going on in Ferguson, Missouri. Yeah. And people are taunting the police officers and other people are standing there filming the whole thing as if they, they can't wait to catch somebody doing something so that they can be the first person to post it on YouTube or get their 15 seconds of fame by, by getting on the news with their with their YouTube video. And I think sort of the first time we saw this was with Rodney King, right? They hear the cops are wailing away on this Rodney King. And a, a stand-up comic, I don't remember his name, uh, very funny, obviously, said, uh, you know, he said well, it's... Well, not a, that funny. If, <laughs> well, but, right, if I don't remember his name. But he said at one point, he said, hey, do me a favor. He said, put the camera down and help me. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, you're filming, for, you don't remember the Rodney King yeah. video from a distance, right? They're filming this uh, this interaction here and the police, you know, going after Rodney yeah, King. It is, it, well, it is pathology and uh, I'm sure that there will be a diagnosis code for it in the new uh, RVS coding that's coming out. Uh, I think it's actually coming out in October of this year. Does that come out annually for uh, physicians? No, this is a whole new thing. We went, we're going from ICD-9 to ICD-10, and we're going from, I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast, we're going from like 35,000 different diagnoses to about 120,000 different diagnoses, and and more, you know, they're going to have a, a diagnosis code for everything, and you're not going to be able to get paid or anything until you have the coding correct. It's mm. going to be one big nightmare. Is but this then, all but, insurance related? Yes. I mean, ultimately, that's what happens, right? Gover government and insurance related. Right, right, right. Uh, with, with a big assist from the American Medical Association, who has... Uh, sole monopoly on the uh, the coding and the money that's being made from coding. You know, speaking but, of us, uh, you know, we won't go into that direction. I just, again, I, I think your point is well made about uh, husbands should not be, you know, they should be in the moment. Yeah, don't miss be the, in moment. the moment. Right, be in the moment. You know, support your wife, your partner, your you know your your baby coming out. You know, touch your baby, smell your baby. Um, uh, talk to your baby. Your baby knows your voice. Be in the moment. Don't be feeling. Let someone else film it. Then you can look at it later and you can decide whether to delete it, save it, post it, keep it private, whatever you want to do. Never look at it again. I mean, I have a birth video from when my daughter was born by cesarean. Right. And I don't even know where it is and I'll, I'll never find it and I'll never look at it again. And you've never seen it once? I saw it the, the, you know, the next day. Right, okay. But then no one watches it after that. Right. 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 Interesting. You know, you mentioned smelling the baby. I saw uh, not long ago on Facebook, and you should check out Dr. Stu's Facebook page. We link to it here on drstuespodcast.com on the website. There was there was a, a photos of a home birth you did, yep. and uh, mom had put the pictures up, and she, and it was a picture of you, and you were sniffing the baby, and it said, here's Dr. Stu smelling the baby, and you seemed to have the baby's head to your nose. And I looked at it and thought to ask you, and now it comes to me, and I'll ask you, is that something you... Is that a, like a clinical thing where you actually smell the baby? What's up with that? I was showing the sister, little sister. Uh, I was saying something to the little sister. You should, you know, and, I was the, and the, to the father, I was saying, you should smell your baby. It's, it's, they, 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 it's, it's amazing. What does it smell like? 
Oh, I can't describe it. It's a, a new it's, car. It's an in, no, <laughs> no. I mean, it's gonna no. be a new baby. Smell right? No. New car. Smell new. Better baby. than a new car. Better than a new shoe. Right. Uh, and not baby powder because the baby just came out. Yeah. No. No. It just. It just is human. It's a human primal smell. It's not. It's not. It's nice. It, it's or desirable. It's, oh yeah, yeah. It's extremely desirable. Can you compare it to anything? Mm. I would assume okay so it's a human without any grime or any well there is grime there is there is stuff yeah spicy tuna roll no well I mean no, so, no. So no. What, what could it smell like I mean uh, uh, I, a yeah. brand new baby uh, and they all smell the same they pretty much do yeah I mean uh, you know and, and we're not talking about they don't smell <laughs> to take to make a bad to make a bad they don't smell like vagina I mean they just smell like New life. I it's it, I don't know what else. It's a it's like a flavor. I mean, okay, I, I right, interesting. And I've, I've never and it's it's very bonding for parents to smell their baby. See, I saw that picture, and I'm glad we I'm glad we stumbled into this. I was see, I was demonstrating right. for the for for the other for, for the for family, their, right? Yeah, and for their older daughter, mm-hmm. right? Interesting. Yeah. But I thought, oh, is it? I said, what's he doing? Is it a clinical thing or just sort of? Uh, c- can you detect by the way? No. Plus, plus, if you're a birth junkie, yeah, like <laughs> the midwives and I are, right? It, you know, it's a bit of a high for us. I mean, we have an oxytocin rush as well. Right. Oxytocin is the love hormone. It's the hormone you secrete when you are in labor, but it's also a hormone that you secrete when you're kissing, when you're having an orgasm, uh-huh. when all those sorts of things. And there is something marvelous about being surrounded by a very, very peaceful, normal birth. Have you ever sort of? taken in the odor of a new baby the smell and you do this smell and it was different and you thought something might be yes, wrong actually yeah there what's that like the, when that happens well the, it, if there's an infection with certain bacteria it will smell different but that's not why i was smelling that baby but you can detect and uh, do you, smell you don't all? need to sniff that you can just detect it from you know five feet away but it's sort of when you catch a baby and when you're caring for a new baby that's coming in and for mom sort of one of the things you find yourself doing every time is smelling the baby right? well you actually use your sense of smell more than you would ever know you do brian i do everybody does it, it, you use it every time you walk into a place into a into a new encounter with somebody you're greeting somebody you're looking at them you're sensing them and you are smelling and that, that smell will have will trigger uh either fond or or not so fond memories sometimes uh, it is probably the most powerful sense we have in triggering memory. Mm. Uh, long after sight or hearing or anything else, if but the smell of your mother's perfume, mm-hmm. thirty or forty years later, you got it you right there, remember right. it instantly, yep. and it'll yep. take you right back to when you were a little boy. I did that when my mom passed away. We took her perfume and I and I sprayed it on things and have it. Yeah. So if you ever just there's wanted... something very powerful about yeah, that. It's interesting. Uh, but yeah, but you can you you don't need to get real up close and personal when when you're smelling something that isn't normal. Right. Interesting. Right. Uh, interesting. Well, it's you always I'm always interested. You always intrigued me with the, the, this stuff. It's a very interesting. well. This is stuff. This is stuff. Again, this is not taught to me in medical school or residency. This is taught to me by my excellent colleagues uh, in the midwifery field who teach me this sort of thing. And, I, and I, you know, I'm a slow learner. But, <laughs> I don't think uh, you're a slow I've been, I'm in my fourth year now of doing home... I'm just starting my fifth year of doing home birthing. And uh, I pick up new stuff all the time. You know, one of the... Uh, one of the... Uh, one of the... One of the sort of issues... Home... When we talk about home birthing, we obviously that is what this podcast is. We go into all different. That's what people I think enjoy about the show. We go into all different stuff, like you parachuting yeah, I was out of say, your like, apartment, like parachuting. Yeah, we go to all different things. But of course, you know the, the 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 mission statement here, if there is one, is is you know uh, you know uh, the 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 availability of home birth, making it making making that choice uh, more more available and safer and more accessible. By the way, we're not advocating birthing while parachuting. No. 
No. no, we do not advocate that. No. We do not advocate that. But we do, and I use the word choice on purpose, because we have had conversations in the past about uh, whether or not home birthing and the choice to, to choose a home birth and the accessibility and the safety of it, if these are predictable sort of outgrowths of the choice movement related to abortion and 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 uh, termination of pregnancy pro-life pro-choice people will have different uh, descriptors for it but if 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 the choice to choose home birth is just another chapter in the great choice story me personally i i think it's a different thing i think uh, birthing is more of a of a human right issue than it is a you know pro-choice pro-abortion or pro-anti-abortion whatever issue um I know you're going with this because we have a topic we want to discuss. Yeah, the reason but, I choose that language but is I, important. I, I want to be very clear that I, I think that the two should not be said in the same sentence. Okay. They're completely different. Okay. Um, uh, choice of how we do things, choice of where we travel, choice of how we give birth, choice of occupation, choice of how we spend our money, choice of what food we want to eat. Uh, that is a human rights issue. Uh uh, that I mean, that is a basic right. Uh-huh. The the abortion issue is a is, is becomes much more political, much more complicated than that. And, uh, and we're seeing it. Uh, we're seeing it in in the, in the birthing world in in the in come up again because we've got a story here about uh, and the way they frame this in the headline here is that uh, one of the new abortion battles, and that's what they that's what they choose to uh, how they how they write it in the headline here. The 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 issue is now with regard to abortion and the choice issue. The issue here in this story, and I know you have thoughts on it and more information on it, is hospitals now extending or denying residents to to a physician privileges Privi- Privi- Not privilege, right. yeah, privileges. Pr- privileges right. right based on that physician's. Uh, feeling on the abortion issue, right? I mean, well, I'm, I'm misstating you're, you're, it. Am you're I? coming at this issue with your question from the back door. Let me, the reason I brought this to your attention is because we've talked a little bit about the issue of, uh, of coercion when it comes to doctors not wanting to, be, or wanting to do breach delivery or, or, or C-sections or V-backs or that sort of thing. And they're not being told, they told they can't do it. And then their privileges being threatened by something called sham peer review in those cases. This is an incidence where in certain states, and I think uh, 11, 12, 13, 14 states, have, have begun to pass laws that say if you are an abortion provider, in order to practice in that state, you have to have privileges at a local hospital in case something goes wrong with one of your abortions so that you can then take care of that woman if she needs to be transferred to the hospital. And what's happening in these states is a lot of the courts are finding that that's unconstitutional. I see. You cannot force a physician who does a legal practice to necessarily take the next step and have hospital privileges. And on the back door, some communities and certain hospitals, of course, are not going to allow privileges to a doctor who may do abortions in that community. And therefore, if the hospital will not give privileges to that doctor and the doctor by law has to have privileges then it's a backdoor way of banning abortion in that community. Right. So as they frame it here in the headline, it's it's described as the next abortion battle, one of these debates that will happen with, with regard uh, to to this issue, which, as you pointed out, Dr. Stu, a moment ago, is, a, is obviously an intense political issue. Is there, forgive me for being naive, 
some hospitals, of course, are owned by the Catholic Church, right? right? They're, they're in the business of, of owning hospitals, right? We see this. Are, are there, and I'm ignorant, so I'm just asking. I'm not going to pretend I know the answer. Are there circumstances happening, for example, in hospitals that might be owned by the church where um, the right to an abortion is not respected in that hospital? Yeah, uh, yeah. You okay. can't. It, it, again, I'm four years removed from working in a hospital, but I worked at Catholic hospitals up until 2010. And you cannot terminate a live pregnancy, even for a baby with severe anomalies or things that are incompatible with life. You cannot do a DNC or what's called a DNE uh, to terminate a pregnancy in a Catholic hospital. You have to transfer? You can do it if the fetus has already died. I see. Inside, like you have a, what's called an intrauterine fetal demise. Then you can have the uh, DNC or whatever procedure you may need in the hospital. But you're not allowed to uh, terminate a life in the hospital setting. So... Uh, so there are folks who have had to transfer, I would assume, right? I mean, does that happen? Is that what is that what happens there? I mean, that's that's. It's, you mean transfer? Mom has to go to another. You know, the patient goes to another. Well, they don't. You know, you don't admit them to that hospital. If they come to that hospital with a right, but what if it happens in the course of of, of treatment at that hospital? What if what if uh, you know what if a, a pregnant woman is in the hospital? Right. And something happens. Well, miscarriages can happen in a Catholic hospital because miscarriage is not something that's man, man created. But they're not going to. You're not going to be doing a, a, a surgical DNC or giving uh, abortifacient drugs in a hospital in that hospital setting if it's a Catholic hospital. Right. And, and everybody and, knows that. And going everybody in. knows that. And right. and and, that, and that's absolutely fine. I mean, the, one of the flaws with this law, if they talk about they the part of the argument from the people that want this law that doctors have to have privileges is they say, well, it's unsafe for a doctor to do an abortion and if something goes wrong, dump it on somebody else, okay? But, so they're doing it, they're always going at the safety from the safety argument that the continuity of care argument. My feeling, you know what I feel about the safety argument is often used as a canard for, for forcing the issue on, forcing whatever issue you want to have. Well, forget one of the other issues in the news here this week as we... Uh, as, as we oh, wait. Let me, yeah, let me, sure. Let me sure. just make my point. Sure. My point is is that in, in this article, they discuss the fact that a procedure like colonoscopy, which is often done in a doctor's office right. or in a small surgery center, occasionally can go wrong. And you can occasionally perforate the bowel or have cause a problem that requires emergency surgery. They don't require... And, and by the way, the risk of a, of a problem with a colonoscopy is higher than the risk of a problem with a, a first trimester abortion. I see. Or even an early second trimester abortion. Yet they don't require colonoscopists to have hospital privileges. So, they so can't it's a little use, inconsistent. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's more than a little inconsistent. It's clearly a political way of try, uh, trying to limit uh, access to abortion. I see. Um, they won't, they'll argue that it's about safety, but you and I can look at it and say, well, if it's about safety, then... Who's they, by the way? Whoever the the, the, the writers what, of the legislation, the, yes, right, the, okay. the right to life people who okay. write the le that sort of legislation. I see, and I understand their point of view, but it, they're not consistent because if it's truly about safety, then you should be you should want any person who does things outside of the hospital to have hospital privileges, but that's not possible because not only that, because in order to maintain hospital privileges, you have to do a certain number of cases per year, and if you're a good abortionist or a good colonoscopist and don't have a complication. You apply for privileges, you're granted privileges. One year later, you're now suspended because you haven't done enough cases. I see. So I see. it's not going to work, and right. that's why these things will be thrown out. Um, and, 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 you know, that's why you have, there should be, again, we're trying to legislate behavior when we should try to make things safer by, by improving collaboration between abortion providers or colonoscopy providers or whatever it is who work outside of a hospital and or midwives who deliver babies outside of a hospital and 
than people who work in a hospital. It should be for smooth transition for the sake of the, of the woman or the man or the client or the patient, whatever you want to call them. That's what we should be fighting for, not dickering. On, on issues that are ideological and base. You mentioned, uh, you know, a moment ago, and I think it's, uh, you know, and it applies to all different stories that we see here. You you have talked in previous podcasts, Doctor Stu, about how sometimes the public reaction or the public outcry to a to a uh, to an issue or a perceived threat. We're talking about listeria here with pregnancy with with uh, with uh, with with pregnant women. That uh, it was like. It's, it happened, what, 12 in 100,000 cases? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about it many times how there's a difference between relative risk and absolute risk. And the American College of OGYN has come out with a, let's see, it's called a, um, uh, it's one of their, I guess it's a clinical guideline. Okay. Yeah, Lister- it's a clinical guideline. Now remember- Listeria is bacteria, right? Listeria is a sort of an odd bacteria. Okay. And uh, it can cause a- a uh, low-grade infection in people, usually not serious, but can be much more serious if you're pregnant. And the incidence in pregnant women is about 13 times higher than it is in the general population. Okay, so that's but significant, that's still, right? Yeah, but that still means it's only 12 per 100,000 pregnant women who will get listeria. So it's very, very rare. Um, but what we've talked about before is looking at these numbers and also looking at guidelines and this, this is a guideline that happens to make sense. And again, I trust my guidelines almost based on common sense because, as you know, about 67%, well, you don't know, but we've talked about it before, but about 67% of ACOG's clinical guidelines are not based on good science. They're based on consensus opinion. So here they're just making it, they just want to make it uh, that because it pops up in the news enough and because the symptoms are sort of vague, they're basically unexplained low-grade fever, uh, for, a, for a pregnant woman, maybe some mild flu-like symptoms, but otherwise not the flu, and usually related uh, in history to eating uh, some uncooked uh, hot dogs or uncooked cheese, I see. that sort of thing, or uh, um, possibly exposure to someone else who has it, right. but, it but, it's, but it's extremely rare, and, it, and every woman who gets a fever does not need to fear listeriosis. So they, they, what they're putting out is a guideline here to help determine who should get worked up and who should get who should not get worked up. And the only way to get worked up for listeriosis is to actually culture the bacteria from a sterile fluid, like doing blood cultures. I see. Right, because it can a- actually be a normal in- inhabitant of your colon and your stool. People can have it in their body, and it doesn't cause an infection. And you made the point in the past that sometimes sort of this... Uh um, okay, I'm going to use a non-clinical term. Sometimes the hullabaloo that surrounds some of these perceived threats actually really serve just to make mom more nervous. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a detriment because many many moms in the country in the next year are going to get fever. All right, and very rarely is that going to be related to something that is serious. Mm. The question is, how do you know? So now every mom who gets fever is going to think she has listeria or parvovirus b19 mm-hmm. sounds like a dog but it, mm-hmm. it is it's it's different than parvovirus that your dog gets but uh these are rare complications that can cause serious problems with the baby if they're not treated properly and sometimes you can't even treat them once they're caught they're, you're caught and it seems to me doctors too that sometimes these uh the perceived physical threats actually are not as real uh they, they are overblown and what they do is they present an emotional threat. 
And sometimes it seems, right? Am yeah. I, yeah, sometimes the emotional... That's never considered, but yeah, that's, I consider it. And we, I, I know I you do, yeah, it. right, yeah. I know you do, right. So it's sort of, you know, you know the emotional well-being is sometimes sacrificed in an overblown reaction to a potential physical problem. Well, they want to raise awareness, and I understand that, but I don't know if there is a way of raising awareness in America in these days without raising fear. I just don't know that that we are equipped anymore. We don't have the capacity, uh, the filter, most of us, to determine what's noise and what's real. It's also about the presentation, as you made the point before. It's the presentation that the physician makes to a client or a patient. I mean, we can all remember in our lives, uh, you know, a physician telling us about potential side effects, telling us about potential risks associated with a procedure or a medication or a diagnosis. And it's all in the manner that it's presented. I mean, you can have a doctor who can make you half crazy when he, you know, he or she begins to freak out about stuff that's not really ever going to happen to you, as opposed to sort of a more composed presentation and an unemotional presentation of facts. Well, doctors are in a, between a rock and a hard place sometimes because you want to give informed consent, uh, but you want to be human about it. The problem is, is sometimes the consent forms that are written for these things are written by hospital attorneys or they're written by the malpractice carrier's attorneys, and they're written in language that's there to protect the attorney, I mean the hospital or the malpractice carrier from being having to deal with a lawsuit. And so they don't really ever face the patient um, mm. when, they may write, when they write these things up. And they can be very intimidating and very scary. I mean, when you walk into a hospital and you're asked to sign papers, uh, you, first of all, usually... You'll you, sign them. Well, you don't have much choice. Right. All right? But you, actually, the truth is you actually do have a choice. The hospital has to treat you whether you sign them or not. So I would make a suggestion to people is if you're sick, you don't maybe, maybe you don't want to be the one that's reading it, but have someone else read it. And you can actually do what's called a line item veto. You really? Know? Like the president yeah, would have, You can right? take your pencil and say, no, I'm okay with all this, but I'm not okay with this. Right. But if you're, if you're retching in an emergency room and you're- Or in labor, contracting every three minutes. Right. Whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or, or, you, or, you've, or, you, or you feel like you might be having a heart attack and you're sitting in an emergency room. You're just going to, you just want that. Sometimes- it's Let's, almost coercion. It's some, almost coercion because if you don't sign it, they're not gonna, they, they say they're not going to take care of you, but they have to take care of you, whether you sign it or not. So just be, you know, don't be antagonistic, but just say, excuse me, I, I'll, I'll read this, but I, I really I just want to be taken care of right now, and then I need to look at this. And oh, you know, that's the sort of thing that you need to be able to stand up and say mm. because you are absolutely right, Brian. I mean, when you're sick, you're, you're going to sign anything to be taken care of. Right, go and in I there and make me stop vomiting and, or whatever. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but if I were a lawyer, you could ask any lawyer that question, how much is this going to really stand up in court or in a civil suit that I signed a consent form when I was having chest pain, crushing right. chest pain? Right. Right. So. Yeah, interesting. That, that, that is interesting. Well, you know, as I said, the more you know, right? The more you know. Anyway, so just as a basic know. premise for listeria, if you uh, have an unexplained low-grade fever and you are pregnant, it is something that you should bring to the attention of your practitioner. The test for it is relatively easy. It's a blood test. Uh, it's called a blood culture. And if you have a temperature over 101 degrees, you probably should start treatment until the culture comes back. If you've had any reasonable history of exposure to any of the things we just talked about, like you know, undercooked hot dogs or cheese, and also if you've had um, some sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, immune suppression where you... Um, You've, your body has been, uh, uh, like you've had a splenectomy or you have some other autoimmune or, or suppressive immune 
deficiency, that That's you're more likely a, to catch those sort of things. You should be much higher on guard. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for that information. And uh, thank you for joining us here on podcast number 65, Dr. Stu's podcast. We welcome you to go to Dr. Stu's Facebook page and like that page and check out his sarcastic news flash, which is sort of an interesting feature you have on your Facebook page now. Right on the Dr. Stu uh, Fishbein OBGYN Facebook page. Yeah, about once a week, we're going to put out what's called a sarcastic news flash. It's just it's just my bizarre sense of humor when I when something really strikes me as uh, as funny. I yeah, try to I try to mock uh, so many. I try to mock everybody. It's sort of like Doctor Stu meets the Onion. Yes, that's sort of what it feels it, like. It is, well, yeah, except I'm not doing a whole story. I'm just doing a little paragraph. But yeah, I could get carried away, and I could probably. It's so easy. The targets are so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, great. So, so enjoy it. By the way, comment on it or like it or share it. I'd appreciate it because uh, we want to get the word out there that this isn't all so heavy. And also, uh, Dr. Stu's podcast, we welcome you to share the podcast. Tweet it out. Put it on your Facebook wall. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Dr. Stu's podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us.